Turn your Bibles to uh, Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, verse number 7. And uh, just to give you a little bit of background about me and my wife. Uh, six weeks ago, we just celebrated 30 years of marriage. And um, she was 17, I was 18 when we got married, just a couple cornfields over in Batesville, Indiana, actually. And here we are 30 years later, and we had four children. How many love your children? All right. But here's the kicker. Seven grandchildren. How many love your grandchildren? Yeah, that's always louder. Amen. I have not, you got me beat on that one, but they're coming, they're coming. But here we, um, it was in Batesville Casket. I worked at Batesville Caskets for 20 years, making caskets, welding and grinding, just about two hours away from here. And it was on that casket line that I began to cry out to God. And I said, God, I know I'm not very educated and not very talented and I'm just a casket maker. I said, but God, if you can take my life, and if you can use it for your glory, here I am. And the Lord began quickly putting me in ministry opportunities, and it was about 13 years ago that someone invited me down to the streets of Cincinnati to minister to the homeless. And at this point, we've done about every ministry that you could possibly think of. We've served in Within the four walls of a church, it was very faithful, and we loved serving the local assembly. But here it was that God was beginning to call us outside of the four walls of a church and begin to call us to the inner cities of America. And I'll never forget that first night I got out of a car, and it was freezing cold. It was dark. Rain was coming down. Freezing rain was coming down in the middle of January. And I got out of that car and I looked around and everywhere I looked, homeless people was living on the sidewalk. And I said, God, how do I encourage someone who's lost everything they got? You see, and I went through a very dark season and pastored a church in Tennessee. <laughs> I don't know if I should say that together, but, uh, but it was a very hurtful time and I resigned after five, uh, after five months after pastoring that church and, we had revival, we had riot, and I just felt like a failure, and I told the Lord I was done with ministry, I'll never preach again, and the Lord kept telling me for three years, it took me three years to heal, and he said, it's not over until I say it's over. It's not over until I say it's over. So the Lord healed me of that, and I found myself back in the Cincinnati area, and here I am down on the streets, and he says, you tell them what I told you. It's not over until I say it's over. Can I tell you something? Just because someone is homeless does not mean that they are an alcoholic. Do I have an amen? Can I tell you that there are 350 million Americans? And out of that 350 million Americans, 1% of them will be homeless in our great nation this year. And can I tell you who they are? Many of them are people who fought for our nation. They're veterans. Many of them are 18 to 22-year-old kids that have came out of a foster system. They aged out, and they have nowhere to go. Can I tell you who they are? There are people that have been released from the mental institution, and nobody wants them, and are living under our bridges. Can I tell you who they are? There are people that their house burnt down from a fire. I could tell you about a guy that came to our outreach in Cincinnati. I was preaching to hundreds of people on a sidewalk. 
One of them comes up and he's bawling his eyes out and he says, I got to talk to you, pastor. I just gave my life to Christ, but let me tell you what happened. I've never been homeless in my life. But about a month ago, he said my wife was in the car. My 13-year-old daughter was in the car. My mother was in that car. My grandmother was in the car. They were on their way to a family event. I didn't get to make it. I had to work. But an 18-wheeler crossed the interstate here in Indiana. Well, we're not quite in Indiana. Crossed the interstate and hit that car and killed his 13-year-old daughter, killed his wife, killed his mother, killed his grandmother. He goes out, he's so overwhelmed by the loss what just happened. He goes out and finds heroin. He was not a heroin addict. He's never had a problem with it, but he said, I'm going to buy enough heroin to kill three people. Injected it in his arm, and the, the rescue team found him. They revived him, and here he is a few days later at one of our street outreaches. Gave his life to Christ. We put him in the city gospel mission. The last time I heard, he was doing well. I could tell you about another woman who worked all of her life. She was raised in a good Pentecostal church, hard worker, loved the Lord, did outreach ministries, but one day she came home to find her 17-year-old son hanging. And she gave up, turned to alcohol, lost it all, living in the woods. But one thing in Cincinnati, you can't hide from our outreach team in Cincinnati. You can be living in the woods and we will find you. Can I tell you something? Regardless of why someone is homeless, even if they are an alcoholic, even if they are a heroin addict, don't you think that we can reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Amen. And so we're very passionate about reaching the least of these. We're very passionate about taking the gospel and taking it to the streets and ministering to the hurting, the hopeless, the hungry, the addicted, and the afflicted, the homeless, the drug addict, the pimp, and the prostitute. And we are on a mission to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do I have an amen? And so it started out a back end of a vehicle on that cold night. God began to multiply our hands. Before you knew it, what started out with just a couple began to be hundreds of volunteers that were gathering together on the sidewalk to reach Cincinnati with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Before you knew it, we had outreaches all over Cincinnati, all over northern Kentucky that was preaching on the sidewalk, ministering food. Before you knew it, we had NFL players coming down, over 67 of them, coming down on the streets to serve with us. We had city officials coming down to serve the homeless. We had multi-dollar millionaires and city officials and, and businessmen that just came down to love on the least of ease. Can I tell you something? We can make a difference. And then we had all of these homeless outreaches going on, and then God began to break our, my wife's heart for the women that were on the street corner selling their bodies for $20, in and out of vehicles, going to the dope boy, getting the heroin, getting back in the car, back to the dope boy all, all day long. We didn't know how to reach them, but we knew that we had to do something, that God has called us to take action. So we had plenty of volunteers. We had plenty of food resources. We had buses and vehicles. So we decided to get together and pray and then hit the streets. We gathered supplies, hygiene kits and food and pop and candy bars. And 
We begin to go to the very streets where they were selling our bodies, and my wife raised up a great team of women, and we would invite them on the bus after we anointed it and prayed over it, had worship playing. These women would begin to come on those bus, maybe for a pair of shoes, maybe for some deodorants. If I didn't get them, the candy bar and the pop almost always got them. They'd come running in that bus, and the moment they came in her, they would encounter a loving, forgiving, delivering God. And one by one, we begin to rescue these women with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, I can tell you about 30 women that were on, their, on those streets of Cincinnati that are no longer down there today. We could tell them by name. We follow them on Facebook. We are watching them. We're still their cheerleaders, and they are living productive lives. Many of those women that were rescued joined our prostitution ministry teams, and they go out every week searching to rescue other women that are on the same corners that they used to be on. And then we had the homeless ministries going on. We had the prostitution ministries going on, and God began to burden us for the children, the children that were in the hood and in the projects and trailer parks and apartment complexes, and so we just begin. We didn't know how to reach them, but we knew one thing. We had to make a difference. That God has called us once again to take action. One thing we had, we had plenty of volunteers. We had plenty of food. We picked it all up. We gathered it together. And we took teams into all these places. And one by one, we, we began to teach the children God's word. How to memorize God's word and drama dances and we, we would lead them to Christ. And before you knew it, we had hundreds of volunteers, 15 outreaches a week, reaching 1,700 people for the glory of God. And can I tell you something? Then there was a transition that happened five years and one month. And two weeks ago, we came home in the middle of all of that. After doing street outreach ministries, and in fact, that day, we, we led many people to Christ. We were water baptized right in the hood and God was moving. Not knowing that we would come home that day to find our 19-year-old son dead in our basement. Now, if ever there was a moment that I wanted to quit, if ever there was a moment that I was tempted to hang up my priestly garments and say, I'm done with the ministry and get mad at God for, for this situation, that would have been it. In fact, the first day I text all of my pastor friends, I said, I quit. I said, I'm done. I'm a failure. I can't do this no more. And then on the third day, me and my wife got up and our, our three children, and we made a firm decision. We're not going to quit. We're not going to throw in a towel. We're not going to get mad at God. We're going to take what the enemy meant for harm, and we're going to turn it around, and I'm going to preach my son's funeral. And I got up in front of hundreds of people that came to our son's funeral and I preached a message, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me. I don't want to drink this cup today, Lord. I don't want to bury my son today, Lord. I don't want to drink this cup, but nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. People gave our lives to Christ, including my father raised his hand to give his life to the Lord and somehow Can I tell you something? When you go through trouble like that, when you make a decision to trust God, when you make a decision to run to God, God will give you the grace. God will give you supernatural strength to just keep on going and for the Lord. Amen? And so somehow we made it through that tragedy 
four years ago, one year after we buried our son, I would be preaching my grandson's funeral. My oldest daughter would walk in the room to find her only son not breathing, dead to SIDS, and preach his funeral. And then somehow we got it through that, and the Lord says, we want you to, the Lord said, I want you to move to Phoenix, Arizona, plant an inner city church. You see, everything that we did in Cincinnati could function without us. We raised up a volunteer team. We raised up leaders. It could all function without us. And it was like God saying, I need you to go build a fire somewhere else now. And so me and my wife, we heard the word of the Lord to go to Phoenix. We packed up our stuff. We told our three daughters that were all married and having children, we love you, but God's called us to go to Phoenix to plant inner city church. We begin to hit the highway to Phoenix, Arizona. When we got to Phoenix, Arizona, we only been there three years now. But can I tell you, in that three years time, we, we established a huge outreach ministry. We're on the streets every week ministering to hundreds of homeless people. We, we've taken over a bar. We turned it into a church. We bus them in every week. And now we're rescuing homeless pregnant women. I'll tell you a little bit more about it here after a bit. But what I really want you to get out of all of that is we can make a difference. If you really get a hold that God wants to use you, God wants to anoint you, God wants to equip you, and God wants this city saved, we can make a difference right here in Evansville, Owens, Owensboro, and Henderson, Kentucky. Amen? Revelation chapter 2, verse number 7. Says he that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. You talked about the, the seven churches. This is a seven churches of the book of Revelation. Jesus has a message for every one of those literal churches. And at the end of the message that he gave to that church, the same phrase is used seven times. He that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying unto the church. And it was recently, just a little while back, I began to pray and cry out to God. I said, God, you have me going all over America, preaching to your people every week. And we know that you have a message for your people. We know that you have a message for the church of America. And I said, God, what is it that you want me to tell your people? What is the message that you have put in my spirit that you want me to tell your church? God said real clearly, I want you to go tell my people four things. If you're taking notes, don't get anything else. Write these four things down. The Lord says, you go tell my people that the hour is late. Number two, he says, you go tell my people that the day is evil. Number three, he says, you go tell my people that the mission is clear. Number four, he says, you go tell my people that the power is available. The hour is late. The day is evil. The mission is clear and the power is available. Amen. Let's break this down. Number one, the hour is late. The hour is late. How many guys realize that we are living in the end times? How many guys realize that the signs are all pointing to one thing, and it is the second coming of Jesus Christ? 
Now, we don't set dates. The Bible says that no man knows the day or the hour wherein the Son of Man returns. We're not date setters, amen? But the Bible makes it clear, even though you don't know the day, you won't know the time. He said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that you will know the season. Based upon the signs, he says, when you see these things, Jesus said in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke chapter 21, he tells about the signs of the times. And he says, when you see these things begin to happen, he says, lift up your head because your redemption draweth nigh. Everybody say signs. Now me and my wife, we had, I told you we had four kids. And seven grandkids. None of them came without signs. Every time that there was a baby in the womb, God gave us signs. One of the first signs that a baby was in the womb was strange cravings for sauerkraut and ice cream. Or pickles and ice cream, maybe for others. I'll never forget it, and I could have denied that strange craving that for... Strange food, but then God sent another sign, and she got sick over everything. It's called morning sickness. It's a sign that a baby is in the womb. You could deny the, the strange cravings, and you could deny the, the morning sickness, but then other signs, you miss the monthly cycle is another sign that a baby is in the womb. You could deny all of those three signs, but more signs come. We went to the doctor, we drew the blood, and the doctor came out and said, the blood indicates that a baby is in the womb. And then false labor pains, back pains, all kinds of signs that were indicating that a baby was in the womb. I could have denied all the signs for nine months, but nine months later, every time a baby showed up on the scene. I come to tell you that the signs are all around us that are pointing to the return of Jesus Christ. The political signs are all pointing to Jesus Christ's return. You see, Israel was gathered from the north, the south, the east, and the west. Titus comes in in 70 AD, burns down Jerusalem, tears down the walls. But God said, right before I come back, I'm going to gather my Jewish people from the north, the south, the east, and the west. I'm going to bring them back to their hometown, Jerusalem. And in one day... The Bible says in one day they will become a nation. That Bible prophecy was fulfilled on May 14th, 1948. Israel became a nation indicating that we are living in the last days. And I can tell you, I can preach all day long about the signs of return of the Lord, the political signs. Israel is a sign. Europe being unified right now is a sign that we are living in the last days. Russia joining hands with Islamic nations, Ezekiel 38 and 39, is happening before our eyes. It is a political sign that we are living in the last days. China has a 300 million army. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 11 and in chapter 17 that there will be a battle of Armageddon. There will be a 200 million army that will cross the Euphrates rivers that is east of Israel. And they will come up for the worst battle ever known to mankind, the battle of Armageddon. When that Bible prophecy was written in the book of Revelation, there was not even 200 million people on the entire face of the earth. 
But God said, when I'm about to come back, not only will Israel be a nation, Europe be unified, Russia joining hands with Islamic nations, but there will be a 200 million army that is east of Israel. They could send a 200 million army today. They could, they have a dam that causes the Euphrates rivers to dry up. They could cross over and leave a hundred million in their homeland to protect it while they're at war. And all of this I'm saying is all the political signs are pointing to the return of the Lord. You can deny them all you want, but ready or not, Jesus is coming. Not only political signs, but economical signs. Revelation 13 makes it clear that in the last days there will be a cashless society. Not unless you take the mark of a beast, you will not be able to buy or sell unless you take that mark. That is the generation that we are living in. Everything is ready. It is in place for a cashless society. The world is demanding right now a cashless society. And it all points to the second coming of, and I could go on and on, not only political signs, economical signs, we could talk about spiritual signs. As the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of a son of man be. But it all points to the return of Jesus Christ. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse number 16, 17 and 18 says, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God and the dead in Christ. My son, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive remain. Now this is a big test. How many guys still alive remaining? Let me see. A couple of you. The rest of you dead. <laughs> then we which are alive remain. Now Paul thought he was going to be alive to see. He's saying he's putting his category in the we. He said the dead in Christ, those who went on before me, Paul's saying they're going to rise first. Then he says, we which are alive remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds and beat the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, if Paul thought that he was living in the last days, don't you think that we should have a sense of urgency that we are living in the last days? You see, the Bible says that we are to look for the soon coming of Jesus Christ, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, Titus 2.13. You see, the fact is, is I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for the Christ. And he is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. Amen? The first time he came, he came as a lamb. But the next time that Jesus comes back, he's not coming back as no lamb. He's coming back as a lion of a tribe of Judah. He's coming back as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The hour is late. Do I have an amen? But not only is the hour late, number two, the day is evil. Ephesians 5 verse number 16, Paul says it like this, that we are to redeem the time. We are to cease every opportunity. We are to... Be active and involved, redeeming the time. Why? He says, because the days are evil. Not only is the hour late, but the day is evil. We are living in an age where we are no longer safer in our places of worship, worshiping our God, without the threat of the enemy coming in to try to kill innocent people in our worship services. Why? Because the day is evil. We're living in an age where children are killing their own parents. 
Parents are killing their own children. Children are taking guns to school. Children are killing other children. We have planes, people taking over our planes and landing them into our government buildings, killing thousands of innocent people. You say, what is going on? It's clear what's going on. The hour is late and the day is evil. Do I have an amen? But not only is the hour late, and not only is the day evil, but number three, the mission, everybody say mission, the mission is clear. You see, God has given us a mission. God has given us a mandate. God has given us an assignment. Just because we know that we are living in the last days and that Jesus could come at any moment does not mean that we all should go home and pack our bags right now, get on white robes and get our candles, head to the hills of Kentucky, build a fire saying kumbaya until Jesus comes back. Because we know that the hour is late and the day is evil, it means that we need to roll up our sleeves and it's time to get busy. It's time to get active. We can't wait for the next generation. We must pick up the mantle. We must surrender to God's will and say, God, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to say, here I am, Lord, use me. You see, if you are a blood-bought, born-again child of God, you have a mission to complete. You can say, well, what is that mission? I'm glad you asked. As I studied the word, I, I come to the conclusion that God has given you four assignments, four missions that he wants you to complete. And I want to let you know that your number one mission on this, or on this earth, your number one mandate that God has given you is not to win the world, but your number one mission is to be in right relationship and on fire for God. That is your number one mission, unless you have that mission right, you cannot fulfill the other three. You see, Jesus said, this is your number one commandment, to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. But your number one mission is to be on fire for God. Do I have an amen? Now, once you are on fire for God, you are now ready for your second assignment. You are now ready to start walking in your second mission. Can I tell you what your second mission is? It's not to win the world, but your second mission is your family. Everybody say family. Now, I wished I understood that before I lost my 19-year-old son. That the mission, my family, is more important than my ministry. That my family is more important than any other mission besides being on fire for God. Your family is your second mission. It's not the church's responsibility to train your children. It is our responsibility as parents to train our children in the ways of the Lord. So that they know God's voice. They know God's ways. We have prayer times and devotions in our home. We worship our God, not just in church, but as a lifestyle. Amen? You see, Noah built an ark. Hebrews eleven seven says that Noah built an ark. Not to save the world, not to save the animal, even though they were allowed to come in the boat. 
But Hebrews 11.7 says that Noah built an ark for the saving of his family. The question I have, he built that ark for 75 years. He got up with a mission, I got to save my family. The flood is coming and I got to build the ark so that my family can come in. What are you doing to make sure that your family is in the ark? Today our ark is Jesus Christ. You see, once we are on fire for God and our families are on fire for God, you are now ready for your third mission. Can I tell you what your third mission is? Your third mission is not to win the world. But your third mission is your church. Everybody say church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is your third mission. If this is your church and this is your pastor, this is your third mission right here. Not very convincing. That's why when you elect deacons, he says, make sure when you elect deacons, there was requirements for elders and deacons that they had to make sure that their home was right first. Amen? Why? Because home comes before the church. And then once the home's right, we can bring the pattern into the church. This is where we come to hear God's word. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This morning, we're not here just to congregate, to have a party, but we're here to hear God's voice. What does thus say of the Lord say? Amen? This is where we come to encourage one another. I don't know about you, but... You go throughout the week and you need some encouragement. And when we come into God's house, I love that you guys have fellowship for an hour out there. That's what the church is all about. Fellowshipping, encouraging one another, loving on one another, discipling one another. You see, when we lost our son, I thank God for two things. Number one, I thank God for the comforter of the Holy Spirit that comforts us. Without the comforting of the Holy Spirit, I don't know how anyone could bury their son. Or daughter. Or grandchildren. And then secondly, not only am I grateful for the presence of the Holy Spirit, but I am also grateful for the body of Christ. Who came alongside us in our darkest hours. Everybody say church. You see, once you are on fire for God, and your family's on fire for God, and now the church is on fire for God, we are now ready for our number four mission. You want to know what your fourth mission is? This is the platform. This is the agency. Now that we're all on fire for God, there's only one left, there's only one thing left to do. We're on fire for God. Our families are on fire for God. Our church is on fire for God. It's time to go get the world on fire for God. Amen? One of the first blessings in the Bible is Genesis 1.27. God created Adam and Eve. Put him in the garden, and he blessed him. You want to know that blessing is a very powerful blessing. He says, now he gave the same blessing almost. First he created the animals, and he gave them this blessing to the animals and to the fish. He said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Stop. He created man. He gave him the same blessing, but he added on to it. He said, be fruitful, multiply, increase, multiply, fill the earth, and take charge. Take dominion. You see, when me and my wife had kids, we fulfilled the first part of it. We began to be fruitful. 
God wants us to be fruitful, not only physically, thank God for the baby that we just had, but we are to bear spiritual babies into God's kingdom. To be fathers and mothers in the faith and to birth people in the spirit. Amen? You see, but then we begin to have grandchildren. I love those grandkids. I just bought them a $10 bag candy me and my wife did the other day. Brought it home to the mom, our daughter, and then we took off. <laughs> but when you have kids, you're being fruitful. But when you have kids are having kids, now we are multiplying. Now, God does not want you to stay at the same level, this church to stay at the same level. He wants you to be fruitful, but he wants us to begin to multiply. That means you have children spiritually, and then they have children spiritually. This thing multiplies quickly. Amen? Then he says, feel the earth. You see, the every time, every year, we get a little bigger, we have to take a bigger room for a family reunion because kids and grandkids and Hopefully one day, great-grandkids. We begin to occupy more space. But then he say, take charge. Can I tell you something? We are the one, the body of Christ. God has given you power. God has given you authority. God has given us dominion. And we need to take charge. Do I have an amen? <clears throat> See, it says Joshua. God told Joshua the same thing. Joshua 1, verse 2 and 3. Moses, my servant, is dead. Get ready. Cross the Jordan River. Lead these people into the land which I am ready to hand over to them. I'm handing over everything. And everywhere you put your foot, I've given it to you. Do you really believe that God has given you that kind of authority? Everywhere you put your foot, God said, I've given it to you. If the church really got a hold of that revelation that God has given you, Power, God has given you authority, God has given you dominion, He's He's ready to give you success, and everywhere you put your foot, He's given it to you. I believe God. Do you do you believe that scripture that God will give you wherever you put your foot? That's why in Cincinnati, when we were doing those ministries, there was a big crack house. 1818 Vine Street is where everybody went to buy their drugs. It's where a lot of people would go to buy their guns. And one day the police decided that they were going to raid that place with a SWAT team and shut it down. They arrested everybody. They boarded the building up. And two weeks later, we took possession of that crack house and we turned it into God's house. Five days a week, we jam-packed the building Homeless people, drug addicts, pimps, prostitutes, we jam-packed the building. I gave him lunch every day, but we didn't eat physical food until we ate spiritual food. Hundreds of people got saved in that old crack house. A few months later, the, the main one that was in charge of that SWAT team comes through the hood, sees all kinds of activity happening in that building. He's mad. He thought that the drug addicts were back in operation. He slams over the door, he comes into the, he opens the door, he walks right into our worship service. He sits down, I'm thinking, I'm looking around because we're breaking every code there is. There's too many people in the building. I'm thinking, he's here to shut us down. He sat through the whole thing, he comes up afterwards, he says, man, this is powerful, this is a good thing that you're doing. I'm going to get channel 12 to come back up out here to do a follow-up story. 
And they did a big story right on Channel 12. I, I got the news leak on my website. And the whole story is from a crack house to God's house. Here we only been in Phoenix, Arizona. We only been there a few years. But in the second year that we was there, we, te- we took over a bar that was two blocks away from thousands of homeless people. For 20 years, it was a bar where people used to come to get drunk. We took possession over it, and we turned it into a church. And for weeks, we jam-packed that old bar. And where people used to come to get drunk, they were now coming to get filled with the Spirit. They were getting saved. We were baptizing them. We were getting them jobs, getting them off of the streets. God was moving. And then within a few months, we outgrown that location. We're already in our third church location. He said, wherever you put your foot, I've given it to you. I just read on the news this morning as we woke up, me and my wife went down to eat breakfast. And on the television was a story about in Florida right now, how they've taken over a strip joint and turned it into a church. That's what I'm talking about. We can, what would happen if this church gets a revelation that wherever we put our foot, God's given it to us. We can go to where the enemy resides in this community. We can take over the bars. We can take over the crack houses and we can give them back to the kingdom of God. That's the kind of audacious faith that we need to have. Do I have an amen? Acts chapter 17, this is about the apostles. And here's what they said. The the men who have turned the whole world upside down has now come here. See, God's called us to be city shakers. We are to be giant killers. We are to conquer the giants in our life and the giants that are in this city. God has called us to bring down the giants. What are we doing to bring down the giants? In intercession prayer, we are, we bring down principalities and powers, rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. We bring them down. We bind them. We have the keys of the kingdom. Do I have an amen? But God has called us to be giant killers. He's called us to be city shakers. God has called us to be world changers. As brother said, there's a lot of people that just has church anointing. They can only flow in the anointing and the gifts of the Spirit when they have a platform. And when we got the bright lights and we got Jesus culture or Bethel playing in the background. And that's how they can flow in the Spirit. And we need to flow in the Spirit when we're here. Amen? But a lot of people only have the corporate anointing. The Bible says when we inhabit that when we worship him, he inhabits the praises of his people where two or more gather together in his name. There he is in the midst of him. When we come together as a body and lift up the name of Jesus, what we have is the corporate anointing that comes down among us. Amen. But a lot of people, that's the only place that they know how to flow. Only prophesy at church, only preach at church. But what if God gave you not just, a, I don't want a church anointing. Take away the microphone. Take away the platform. Remove the bright lights. Take away the fog. We don't need all of that. What we need is the anointing of God. What we need is the presence of God. What we need is the power of God to bring down the enemy, to cast out devils, to heal the sick, to raise the dead. Do I have an amen? Say, give me a graveyard anointing. Oh, man. 
Time goes quick up here. <clears throat> Mark 16, verse number 15 through 20 is the Great Commission. He says, I want you to go. Everybody say go. Now today we came to worship God. The Bible says not to forsake the assembling of, of ourselves together, even more so as you see that day approaching. But here he wants us to get out of the four walls of a church. He says, I want you to go where? Into all the world. Everybody say all. That includes the homeless. That includes the drug addicts. Can I tell you, they're easy to reach than the religious people and the wealthy people of this community. You want to reach a lot of people for Christ? Go where nobody else wants to go. Whenever we go to a city, I I find out where is the most demonic place in the city? Where is the most oppressed? Where is the most violent? Where are, are the most crimes? And that's where we're going to build our ministry. Right next to the gates of hell because that's where people get saved by the masses. They already know that they messed up. They already know that they're sinners. They're ready for grace. They're, they're, re- they're just waiting. They're crying out. Does anyone know that what I'm dealing with? Does anyone know what I'm suffering? And they're behind trash dumpsters and maybe shooting up on heroin, just waiting for the body of Christ to come to tell them about the love of Jesus Christ. He says, I want you to go into all the world and I want you to preach the gospel to every, say every. Once again, that includes alcoholics, drug addicts. Pimps, prostitutes, homeless people, every creature. All the world, every creature. All the world, every creature. Go to all the world and preach, proclaim, declare the good news, the gospel to every creature. Now that's our part. God's only given us two things to do. I think we could do two. Go and proclaim. Go tell them how good I am, God says. Go tell them that I can say that I'm a savior. Go tell them that I'm a healer. Go tell them that I'm a deliverer. God says, if you do those two things, if you are willing to go into all the world and tell every creature, God said, here's what I'll do for you. God said, number one, you'll have my power. Everybody say power. In Mark 16, he says, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, and these signs, here's the power, these signs shall follow those that believe. In my name, he says, here's what you're going to do. He says, you're going to cast out devils. You're going to speak of new tongues. He says, you're going to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. He said, they that believe and are baptized shall be saved. So he says, what he says is you're going to have power to see people saved. When you share the gospel, it has power. And when you share the gospel, that power, you see people saved. How many guys want to see people saved? He says, you're going to see people saved. If you go and tell them how good I am, you're going to see people saved. He says, but not only will you see people saved, he says, you're going to see people healed. You will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. How many guys believe in divine healing? That Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That God is no respecter of persons that... He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. He said, I want you to go lay hands on people and you're going to get healed. You're going to have my power to see people saved. You're going to have my power to see people healed. But then he's don't stop there. He says, you're going to have my power to see people delivered. He said, in my name, you shall cast out devils. Can I tell you something? We have a gospel that has power. 
The name of Jesus is above every name. And in his name, demons have to tremble. We cast out hundreds of demons of people while on the streets preaching the gospel. I don't go looking for them things. I don't even like that ministry. I prefer one of you join our ministry team whenever a demon manifests itself. I say, up, oh, Johnny, here comes another one. You deal with this. And I'll go back over here and just lay hands on the sick and you deal with the demons. But can I tell you something? I don't look for them under every tree, but when they show up, when they manifest themselves, we have power to take care of it. Jesus said, behold, I give you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the works of the enemy. Nothing by any means shall harm you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Can I tell you something? We have power. We have authority. We have dominion. We, we can see people saved. We can see people healed. We can see people delivered by the power of God. But he don't stop there. He says, not only are you going to have my power, he says, you're going to have my presence. Can I tell you something? We need the presence of God. Moses said, unless your presence go with me, I know that you called me to be a deliverer. I, I know my assignment, but unless you go with me, I'm not going anywhere. And it says in verse number 20, And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them. The Lord working with them. That's the presence of God. Confirming the word. That's the power. The presence and the power. The presence and the power. The Lord working with them. Confirming the word with signs following. We need the power of God and we need the presence of God. Amen? But he he don't stop there. He said, if you would just do these two things, go to all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. You're going to have my power to see people saved, healed, and delivered. You're going to have my presence. I'm going to go with you. But then he says, I'm going to protect you. You're going to have my protection. We don't have to fear and shrink back because of the enemy. God has got your back. If God is calling you over in a third world country this morning... Can I tell you something? He's able to protect you. Now, all of the disciples, I can tell you that they were all martyred. But they were protected until the Lord was ready to take them home. The apostle Paul was going around. He was fulfilling the great commission. He was healing the sick. He was preaching the gospel. He was raising the dead. He was establishing churches everywhere. He was in God's will. One day he was shipwrecked and thrown on an island. And the Bible said a snake came out and bit him. And Paul shook it off. He should have, been, should have been dead, but God protected him. Amen? That's why in this strange passage that nobody preaches on it, but I will. He said, if you drink any daily thing, it shall not harm you. You shall pick up serpents. They're not going to harm Snakes and poison. Snakes and poison. What is God saying? We're not going to be drinking cyanide. In the, we're not going to be getting the Kool-Aid in this service. Amen? I don't know how it is here in Kentucky, but if I see you guys bringing out the Kool-Aid with cyanide in it to, te- to see how strong your faith is, I'm going to run out of the surface as quick as I got here. We don't tempt God. And if I see any snake cages coming out, I know we're in Kentucky, a snake cage, I'm going to run through the wall to get out of here. But what God is saying is, if You will go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Just do what I told you to do. You're going to have my power. You're going to have my presence. You're going to have my protection. 
Thank God that when I'm in the hood preaching to dope addicts and pimps and drug lords, I've been in some dangerous situations. I held a guy that was shot a half a block away from me. I, I led him to the Lord as he was dying in my arms for 20 minutes. I've been in gunfights. I've been in knife fights. I've been in fist fights. But here I am because I have God's protection. Now, I didn't participate in it, of course. But the protection of God was upon us. I've had people swinging at me in the middle of my service. I hope that don't happen this morning. And martial arts skills, I would dodge a little bit. And one of the, a cup of water that I gave them, swinging with my, their water in their hand, slipped on the water. The moment they hit the floor, I dragged them out of the service, came back up, picked the microphone on. I told them, I says, I love you. You won't act like that. I'll see you next week. Came back up, picked the microphone up, kept on preaching. What am I saying? I've been in some dangerous situations, but what I come to tell you, we don't shrink back because of the enemy. We are to be bold. We are to be courageous as lions. And it's time to go into the enemy's camp. And it's time to walk in apostolic anointing. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why is God's spirit upon you? I'm glad you asked. Because he have anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He have sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of a sight to the blind, to set at liberty those that are bruised. Do you know any captives in this city? You know anybody that's brokenhearted? Do you know anybody that's addicted? That's what Jesus did. His greatest work was not in the synagogue. It was in the streets. Then not only did he do it, then he said he, he gathered his 12 in Luke 9. He says, you've seen me do it. I preached, I healed the sick, I cast out devils, I raised the dead. He said, now you go do it. The nine goes out, they do it. They preach, they, they heal the sick, they cast out devils, they come back rejoicing. Then Jesus said, okay, I did it. The 12 did it. Now he says, let's do the 70. Divide them up two by two, send them out into the cities, gave them the same assignment. Preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out devils, raise the dead. They came back, Luke 10, 19, rejoicing that even demons are subject in their name. So don't rejoice in that, but rather rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. Then after he resurrects, he did it. The 12 did it, the 70 do it, but then after the resurrection... He has 500 people gathered together. He's about ready to be ascended into heaven. And he gave them the same assignment right here in Mark, 9, uh, Mark 16, 15 through 20. He said, I want you to go preach the gospel. I want you to heal the sick. I want you to cast out devils. You're going to have my power. You're going to have my presence. You're going to have my protection. And then lastly, and we're done, he says, you're going to have my provision. Can I tell you something? Where God guides, he always provides. If it's God's will, then it's God's bill. If it's the finger of God that is pointing you, it is the hand of God that shall supply it. But if you're in the flesh, have fun paying the bill. Because what you birth in the flesh, you will have to provide for in the flesh. If you're in the flesh and you birth a ministry and it was not God that gave you that ministry, it's your bill. But if God has called you, chosen you, anointed you, given you dreams, given you visions, he's confirmed it. You have an assignment of God. You can guarantee that God's got the bill. If God births it in your spirit, 
He will provide it by his spirit. I told you I made caskets. I got a couple of illustrations and we're done. I want to tell you how good God is when you say, yes, God, I'll go. When you just step out in faith, it's not all there. I, I don't see it. I don't have all the money. I don't have all the resources, but I heard the will of God and I'm just going to step out in faith. Made caskets for 20 years, welding and grinding. Every day I got off that casket line, my wife would have the chili and hot chocolate ready. We would head to the city for several years, building these ministries, raising up hundreds of volunteers while I was working full-time job. Your pastor's doing it right now. Until eight years ago, there was a transition. Eight years ago, my mom came up to me and says, what do you want for your birthday? I said, Mom, I've always wanted to jump out of a perfectly good airplane three miles up in the air attached to someone I don't know. Mom said, well, how much does that cost? I said, $159. I've already looked it up online. She said, I'll pay for that. That's a good mom that will pay for you to jump out of a plane, by the way. She went with me the second time. She had to make sure it was safe the first time, I think. And then we went up to Middletown, Ohio, and I... Attach myself to a man that I only knew for five minutes. The only time, only little bit of conversation I had was when he was suiting us up, attaching myself to his body, getting us in that plane and heading up in the sky was about to jump out. That day I jumped out of a plane. I only had one question when I found out who I was jumping out of a plane with. And it wasn't, or do you speak in tongues? Did you go to Bible school? Maybe when we get down, we'll talk about all of that. But before we jump, one question for you, sir. How many times have you done this? How many think that's a good question to ask someone you're going to jump out of plane with? That day, if his answer would have been, if he would have said, this is my fourth jump. I would have said, buddy, you keep my $159. I'm going back home. But I'll never forget, he said 7,000. That's all. I mean, there was other numbers, but those numbers didn't matter anything. 7,000 was good enough for me. It gave me so much faith in this man that I didn't even know. I didn't even ask him a very important second question. The second question, okay, you're experienced, but one more question. Just in case something happens to you on the way down, where's the cord? To this day, I still don't even know where that cord is, but that's an important question. I jumped out of a plane attached to someone I didn't know, and I didn't even ask him where the cord was. I'm driving down 75 South from Middletown, Ohio to Cincinnati, Ohio, and God had me right where he wanted me. And God said, you mean you put that much faith in a man that you only knew for five minutes? God said, how long have you known me? How long have you been walking with me? And I, I go back to welding those caskets and I'm thinking, I'm fasting and praying. I said, God, if I could trust a man like that, surely I could trust a living God. I said, God, if you want me to walk away from everything and trust you completely, walk away from insurance, walk away from 401k, walk away from a great money, 67 job skills. 20 years of experience, but if I can trust a man, surely I can trust a living God. But I got to know as you bid me to come. I'm like Peter, looking out on the edge of the water. Peter said, Lord, if it's really you, bid me to come. I got to know as you. Can I tell you something? You don't get out of a boat and walk on water unless you got a word from God. Can I tell you what will happen if you get out of a boat and walk on 
water, try to walk on water, and you don't have a word from God, you won't even get one step in. You're going to immediately be like a sinker. But when you got a word from God, you can do the impossible. And I said, God, I got to know as you. I'm fasting, I'm praying. Three days later, I'm welding, and God says one word to me, come. I go home, I tell my wife, I tell my, do- my son I was still alive, I tell my three daughters... I said, God wants me to walk away from everything and trust him completely, not knowing where our next check's coming from. Didn't have a U.S. missions account. Didn't know who was going to support me, how it was going to work. But if I could trust a man, surely I could trust a living God. My wife, my daughter, my three sons said, God told you to do it, do it. I go back into work. I hand a seven-day work notice in. Everyone thought I was crazy, but I got a word from God. I got the blessing of my family. What more do I need? Seven days later, I still don't know where my next check's coming from. I'm clocking out. I got the peace of God. The next day I woke up. I don't have a secular job now. I'm Now I'm full-time, even though I've been full-time all along. I'm ready to start God's assignment. Will you have for me? I don't have any money, but here I am. I didn't have any backup plan. Four kids, I didn't have any savings. I had to work through my vacation and sick days just to make ends meet. And by the end of that first day, God gave me three months income and I never turned back. Why? Because where he guides, he also provides. I had hundreds of volunteers. I didn't know some of them had that much money. I would have treated them a lot much nicer. <laughs> One of them called me up and said, I heard you walked away from everything to trust the Lord. I said, yes, sir. He says, me and my wife wants to treat you out for supper. Here's my address. This is my home. I want you to go. And I put the address in there. I actually got to my destination. I get up this big hill. There's a $4 million home on the top of it. Trucks all over the parking lot. F-150 trucks. A garage has probably cost twice as much as any home here. And we go in. We're eating he hands me, uh, he says, do you see those checks out, uh, those trucks out front of my house? I said, yeah, what you got going on here, a, a dealership? He goes, uh, uh, just something the Lord has me involved in right now, but me and my wife have been praying and we want to give you one of those F-150 trucks. Hands me the key. We preached thousands of messages off the back of that. We've hauled tons and tons of food off the back end of that truck. And he hands me not only the keys to the truck and the title, he hands me three checks. 1700, 1700, 1700. He post them a month apart. He said, this is for the th- first three months. After that, we'll support you 500 a month. What am I saying? Where he guides, he also provides. Another thing is when you're down to nothing, God's up to something. Amen. When we lost our son, we were down to $18. How many of you guys know you don't, you cannot bury your son for $18? And we watched God give us $10,000 before I got up and preached my son's funeral. $10,000 came in. After we buried our son, the next day somebody walked into our bank to this day. Five years later, we still have no idea who did it. Walked into our bank carrying $10,000 cash, deposited it into our account. God gave us 20,000. We needed 10,000, but he's Jehovah Jireh. He does exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think, and he did double for our trouble. When we moved to Phoenix, we was only 65% fully funded as U.S. missionaries. 
We took two people with us. Didn't have money for a church, didn't have money even for water for our outreaches, but we knew God called us. Within one month of us arriving there, we were preaching and feeding and ministering almost a thousand people a month, a, a, a week, I mean, thousand people a week. Why? Because where he guides, he also provides. When God told us to take over that bar, I said, God, you know, that's another $50,000 a year for us to pay those bills, $2,500 a month for rent, a thousand for utilities, church insurance, all the food we buy and supplies. God doesn't love 50,000. We just now got fully supported. Now here's another 50,000. But we said, okay, God, we know that where you guide, you provide. We took over the bar. We outgrown it. I told you we're in our third location. And now we're, God said just a, a few months ago, I want you to rescue homeless pregnant women. I'm thinking, God, you know that's another fifty or $70,000 a year? Like it's a surprise to God. I said, but we'll do it, God. We begin to step out in faith. Here we are a month later. Someone bought us a $230,000 home. Another businessman said, I'll give you the first 50000 Another person said, we'll give them jobs and transport them back and forth to work. Why? Because where he guides, everybody stay in your feet. He also provides Right now, we are in need of $19,000 when we'll be able to rescue 20 women, homeless pregnant women and their babies, and all we're lacking is $19,000. And you know what? I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't know who. But where he guides, he also provides. Pastor. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We're going to take a few moments just to relax over here. I'm going to pull Pastor Jim up and his uh, wife, and we're going to pray over them for an anointing to continue doing what they're doing. But uh, before we do that, just don't take off on me. Can everybody do that? Um, I want to have an altar call. So turn down the lights just a little bit. Everybody close their eyes for one second. I just want to ask you this morning. You know, I've been studying the last couple of days at Lamb's Book of Life. And you know, we're in the last days. Some of you have your kids, husbands, wives, and you're not in that book. You're not right with the Lord, and you know you're not right with the Lord. And time's really short. Like you said, the most important thing today is you're, you're getting right with the Lord. Not the business of what we're doing here today. That's you getting right with the Lord is the most important thing. Am I ready for the Lord to return? Am I, how many know this is not the world that God wanted you to have? He, he's got a whole world that he's built without sin, without sickness, no more tears, no more crying, no more. God's got a wonderful place prepared for us, and he's calling out today for you first and your family. And I just want to ask you this morning, that's you, and you say, Chad, I've never given my heart to the Lord. What's that mean? It just means, Lord, I'm, you take my life. I want to live for you. And there's a place up here at the altar. We want to pray with you. Just find a place. If that's you, please come this morning. If, if you need prayer privately, 
myself, Brother Turner is available to pray with you. I mean, how many of you can say, close your eyes this morning, please. I don't want to. It's the most important thing we'll do today. That's you. So let me see that hand. Pastor Chad, I'm not right with the Lord, but I want to be. I'm not going to embarrass you, I promise. I want to pray with you this morning. You don't even have to come up here. If that's you this morning, let me see that hand. Nobody's looking around right now. You've never given your heart to the Lord. I want to see that hand. Pastor Chad, I want to know this morning. I want to know this morning that I'm right with the Lord. Just a few more moments here. Looking for that hand, anybody. I'm not right with the Lord this morning. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. How many appreciate that word this morning? Hallelujah. And as we get ready to pray over Pastor Turner and his wife, we're going to pour into this ministry. Before I bring him up, I just want you to know sometimes when you have a missionary evangelist that comes in, the number one goal is we want to pour into their ministry. But can I tell you something? We are as a church, there's a second thing we want to do with a pastor like this. How many know that our cities and our streets, there are issues in this city, Evansville, Henderson, how many know that people think the heroin addiction is unsolvable? The homelessness, hopeless. Homelessness, hopelessness is unsolvable. Hallelujah. How many know we have a God that will solve all of those issues? God wants to use this church. How many believe that? We're going to be partnering with our brother. We're we're planning right now for him to come down and begin to train our church to be a part of that solution that God wants for our community. How many want that for our church? So we're going to pour into his ministry And he's going to begin to train this church to reach out to our community. How many want that? Hallelujah. Come on up here. Praise the Lord. We're going to lay hands on them before we take this offering. Uh, In fact, right now, if you... We're going to be writing the checks out to Urban Outreach. How many can remember that? Urban Outreach. We're going to take up an offering specifically for this ministry. Uh, How many know it's expensive to come all the way down from Phoenix? Okay, but I felt like for this church, this is worth it, right? I mean, no, we need to dream as a church. You say, well, pastor, I've been dreaming. I've been dreaming for a Cadillac. I've been dreaming for a new boat. You know, I've been dreaming that God would bless me with something new that the neighbors will look at me and say, what a wonderful person he is. I mean, no, God wants us to dream his dreams. Me know that God wants us to dream His dream. You know, the Lord's Prayer says that His will will be done on earth like it is in heaven. And man, when we start dreaming God's dreams, and you know what this brother's doing today? He's throwing seed out there. The Bible says that God's looking for soil that's good soil. That means your heart. Man, that seed will find a place in you. Now, not only are we fruitful, now that seed is multiplying. More people have a heart for God and a heart for God's dreams, God's heart for people. So if you would, raise your hands to this couple right here. We're going to pray the anointing. My elders, prayer people, come on up here. We're going to gather around. How many know that it needs? you need the strength and the supernatural anointing of God to go to the places that they're going? 
me know that the enemy would love nothing more than to discourage my brother? You guys probably all thought that these are super people that go into these communities. But how many know they're human beings that are anointed by God? And we're going to pray to anoint you for this brother. Anybody wants to come up? Come up. We want to gather around show them our love. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, right now I pray an anointing, Lord God. Oh, Heavenly Father, anointing over James and Letha Turner, Lord. Oh, Father, that you would go ahead of them, Lord God. Father, mighty warring angels, Lord God. Father, this is your supernatural, Lord God. Worship, Lord God. Oh, Father, that your mighty warring angels would go ahead of him, Lord God. Father, that you would tear down every stronghold of addiction. Lord, every stronghold of hopelessness, Lord God. Every stronghold, Lord God. of Father, in, in, Father, that you would go in advance, Lord God. Oh, Father, right now I pray that you bind every enemy, Lord God. Father, every principality and every high place, Lord God. Father, I pray that you would release, even right now, Lord God, upon my sister, Lord God. Oh, Father, that their words would be life, Lord God. Father, every word they speak to a prostitute, Lord God. Every word that they speak, speak, Lord God, to a homeless person, Lord. Father, every word that they speak to somebody who's ran out of hope, Lord God. Father, let those words be life, Lord God. Oh, let them be blessing, Lord God. Oh, yes, supernatural from the throne. Oh, you're going to do greater things, Lord God. Oh, Father, I pray an extra blessing, Lord God. Father, a supernatural anointing, Lord God, on this church, Lord. Oh, Lord God, that we would be like a seed that multiplies from this ministry, Lord. Father, as you begin to impart, Lord God, that anointing upon this church, Lord. Oh, that we would go in the highways and the byways, Lord God. Father, that we would go out and we would invite those to the feast. Oh, the good and the bad, anybody who will listen, Lord. Oh, that this church would also 